Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. He went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I think I've told y'all before, um, one of the really fun parts about being a pastor is when people find out that you are a pastor. Um, usually there's a, a few different reactions. So if I get invited over to somebody's house and I don't know everybody there and I'm just kind of working around the room and making conversation and, and we'll have been talking for 30 minutes, 45 minutes of some respect, sports, whatever, you name it. Uh, we've been having these great conversations and then inevitably one of the questions you ask in Texas is, what do you do for a living? You say, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And there are three general reactions. Um, one of those is, I'm so sorry for what I said 15 minutes ago. Um, the second reaction is, let me tell you every detail about everything in my life that you would ever want to hear, um, usually involving confession of some sort. Um, and the third is, you know, I just realized I need to go to the bathroom and I never see that person ever again. Um, it's just kind of the intricacies of this delineation that we often make between the sacred and the ordinary, or what I would even say is recognizing the blessing in front of us versus expecting the blessing that is to come and living in this kind of in-between time. Because one of the other interesting things that I get to experience as a pastor is when I go out to eat with somebody, and especially if it's in the formality of I'm going out to eat with a church person or church business or, or church relationship, and it truly is one of the joys of what I get to do. I love the one-on-one -on -one conversation it is a blessing to me, and to have that experience and to be trusted in that or to just sit down and share a meal with you is one of the, my favorite parts about what I do. But especially when we're in a group and we're all swapping stories and we're having a good time, I find it to be this kind of similar experience And that for 10, 15 minutes, the waiter takes our drink order and we sip on our drinks and we eat the bread or we eat the chips and salsa, and, and everybody's fine with that. But as soon as the entrees come, everybody kind of 
sits awkwardly around the table, especially if I'm sharing a story, because they want to wait and see if I'm going to stop and... Because what do good Christians do before we eat? We pray. We don't care about the chips and salsa, the bread, or the drinks. But when the entree comes, you pray. Even, even more so than pray, the vernacular is, for most of us, or for, throughout history, is we bless the meal. Right? And I'm curious with the distinction between giving thanks for the blessing in front of us versus asking God for the blessing, how many of us follow Plato and the Greek philosophers, and how many of us go down the road of Jesus? I bring up Plato and the Greek philosophers. So Plato had this theory on life, that, uh, on earth, and all of his existence in creation, and it was called the forms. And the forms existed in this kind of spiritual, eternal realm. They were, everything was perfect. So everything on earth has a perfect form. That chair has a perfect form. I have a perfect form. Everything has a perfect form. But we are all copies of the perfect form here on earth. And if everything in the forms in the spiritual realm is perfect, and we are just a copy, it means that we are imperfect. And so what the Greeks would do is they would, when they were about to eat, they would offer some of their food into the fire for a god or a series of gods, asking that those gods would add their blessing to the imperfect food in front of them so that they could have the divine favor that they craved by eating the meal that Apollo had given them or that Apollo was adding a blessing to. And and that is the definition of blessing. A, A definition of blessing, just according to the dictionary, is consecrated or holy. They're asking this food to be consecrated or holy or worthy of adoration or reverence or divinely favored. But again, if nothing on earth is perfect, then therefore it is broken or sinful or messed up or imperfect. You can, if if you go down the road long enough, you can actually see where our doctrine of original sin is not influenced by Jewish thinking but it's influenced by Hellenistic, Roman, Greek thinking. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus or anybody actually ask God to bless a meal. If you're somebody who wants to live perfectly biblically. Nowhere in the Bible does, does Jesus or God ask anyone to actually provide blessing for a meal. And you, you can look at Deuteronomy 8 has a passage that says, once you are full of bread, then give thanks to God for all that God has given you. And you could, uh, some would maybe disagree with me and point to communion. And you look at Matthew 26 where it says, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread. And after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. But I would point you to verse 27 where Jesus takes the cup and doesn't bless the cup. Because most scholars think that Jesus in this moment of Passover is offering the very traditional, commonplace Jewish prayer that would be done around bread. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Menach HaHaretz. I practice that a lot. Which translates to, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from this earth. Essentially, the idea is that we're not asking for the food to be sacred We're giving thanks to God for the blessing that is already in front of us. We're not asking for some magical thing that is going to all of a sudden make us more connected with God. We are recognizing what God has already put in front of us. We are recognizing the blessed 
and not asking for a blessing. In Jesus' mind, where everybody is made in the image of God and carries this divine spark inside of us, in Jesus' mind, where the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is of the Lord and made by the Lord, asking God to perfect something that God has already called good is absurd. I'm not saying you don't pray before a meal. I'm just looking at the semantical difference of asking God to infiltrate an imperfect world to say, to make something perfect so that we can somehow score points towards being more heavenly or more blessed versus taking the time to pause in prayer and recognize that this ordinary piece of bread is something that a very good God has given to be good for people that God called good. It's this act of communion where Jesus prays thanksgiving to God, not asking for a special gift of the bread, but giving thanks to God for the bread that creates this sacred ritual for us that we do in Eucharist, in communion together, and it gives the disciples and all of us today an everyday experience of blessing. Not that we go to communion, not that we eat a meal so that we will become superhuman of some sort, but really it is recognizing the blessing in front of us. It's a prayerful action, and I, and I wonder, I wonder if in our world we would approach the world, if we would approach the people in our world as blessed and recognize the blessing that is already in them versus waiting on a blessing for them in order to love them. I'm getting real semantical here. I'm getting real semantical here, but I wonder if the people who heard the Sermon on the Mount got the semantics that Jesus was using. And maybe if we take account of what is the blessing before us instead of waiting on this magical blessing, I wonder how it shapes us or how it transforms us. Let me ask you, how many of y'all have seen the movie The Life of Brian before? It's a Monty Python movie, and I'm really disappointed in y'all. Um, because this, this is a fantastic movie. Um, Life of Brian is a parody of, uh, uh, just real quick, it's a, it's a guy who um, accidentally, he's running from these people and accidentally gets confused as Jesus. So people start following Brian instead of Jesus and hijinks ensue. It's very irreverent, you'd love it. Um, but there's this one scene where Brian and his mom go out and they're listening to Jesus proclaim from the top of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, but there's this huge crowd, and they're far away, and so this guy is like, did he say blessed are the cheesemakers? Um, which this other guy turns around and says, well, obviously it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. Um, but when, and, it, and it's absurd, right? It, it's absurd, but when Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All of those sound as absurd as cheesemakers in that context. In, in the context of the Greek-Roman world, even in the context of the Jewish elite leaders, there was more of an assumption of blessing are those who have earned the points to be blessed. It was in a Greek-Roman philosophy that we are asking God to 
add some kind of superhuman Hercules uh, uh, blessing to us so that we can be something special because we're not currently in the form that we are. And in the Jewish religious elite circles, it was who's strongest, who's wealthiest, who is more holy, who's earned the points to be able to be called blessed. And and so blessing was something you were always waiting on. It was something that only the elite achieved. It was something that was far off. And you can imagine how those who were not considered blessed would look in the mirror or whatever reflection that they had every day and think about themselves. Or perhaps even those around us who don't fit those categories of strong and mighty and stoic and, and, and wealthy. How if our conception of blessing is something that is waiting for us and it's only the superhuman blessing that we are waiting upon, how we start to treat those people who don't live up to the standards of strong and stoic and mighty and wealthy and good looking or whatever. And Jesus comes here and prays blessing upon the peacemakers and the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And and these aren't things that if we achieve those, we earn points towards some celestial goodness. Jesus talks about the reward in heaven, but you have to look at Jesus as talking about heaven as not something that solely waits on us. It does solely wait on us, but heaven is something that infiltrates earth in the presence of Christ, that heaven in the worldview of Jesus is a blessing that's here. And when we do create peace, and when we do live into meekness and just simply make the world run, not looking for credit or power, when we do hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are all regular means of grace. These are all practices of prayer that help us to draw closer to the Son of God, the life of God, the logos, the wisdom of God. And and you know you feel good after you serve? There's this weird thing about serving and that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to help somebody out in an evolutionary scheme of things. It doesn't make sense to help people out in a world that's all about power and earning you know, riches or glory or power. But every one of us who have helped somebody walk away from it, and you often hear this expression of, well, I got more out of that than they did. And it's because you stepped into the blessing that was there you recognized where Jesus' blessings are found. Let me give you an example from Creekwood real fast. Um, her name is Julie Stelly. Some of you know who she is. Um, and, and Julie's been here forever. Julie is one of those people that um, her friends would definitely disagree if you called her meek. Um, she has no fear in chatting. She is not a wallflower. She is our current lay leadership chair. She has been involved in high-level projects. Julie is somebody who is highly invested in this church, but nobody would look at Julie who knows her and knows what she's done in this church or knows that she's retiring from a successful dental practice or, or has this great Texas A&M-themed party barn. No one would look at Julie and say, you know what, she's the example of meekness in this world. But Julie also is involved in a Sunday school class called FaithWorks that meets in 945. And, and FaithWorks has a, a wonderful group of people, and they have decided and pledged to the children's ministry that every fifth Sunday is their entire class will go in and give the regular volunteers a break, and they'll go in and they will volunteer in children's Sunday school. Um, and, and 
just to put that in perspective, let me ask you just a few questions. Um, how many of you in this room, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because you're not going to be able to answer these. And I don't want to totally shame everybody, but just shame you privately, I guess. Um, uh, how many of the people, how many here, including me, can name one person who works in the nursery's name? People who have kids in the nursery. Right. Who here can tame, name more than three children who go to Sunday school at 945? Who here has ever uttered the words when asked about serving with kids or youth? I've done my time. Or I'd like to be involved. This is my favorite. I'd like to be involved in something a little higher than children's ministry. That should sting. Who here knows that if the nursery and children's ministry is not staffed, that every other ministry of our church on Sunday morning doesn't function? Right. Yet working with youth and kids is the hardest week in and week out ministry not only in our church, but in most churches, it is the hardest ministry to get people to serve in, and especially to commit long-term to, to build relationships with those kids, to give them those mentor figures that they look back on in 20 years and say, that's the person that changed my life, right? That's the person who cared enough to walk with me and love me through all of the hard things, right? That's the person who became meek, and put this idea of higher level service behind, and put this higher level, put this idea of my time behind to, to invest in somebody else's life to do that. Right? But for whatever reason, the, the two things that we absolutely have to have to make every other, and believe me, if you're trying to do a schedule, I will walk you through it. The two things we have to have to make Sunday morning work are the two things that are the hardest to get anybody to do. So January was the fifth Sunday, the last fifth Sunday that we had, and I just happened to have a meeting that Julie was in, and, and after the meeting, uh, before after the meeting, she took me aside, and she just goes, I need to tell you how great Allison Hicks is. I said, I agree, let's talk about this, and, and she said, oh my gosh, she makes it so much fun, she makes it so easy to volunteer, anybody can come and do this, it was so great, I got to hang with the kids, and it was just this phenomenal experience and here's what I want you to hear she said this is the most meaningful special spiritual experience I have had in this church in the last few years and that's not a coincidence because Jesus says these things about who we consider to be the meek he says truly I tell you unless you change and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and not unrelated to this is in Matthew 25 where there's this long, uh, long parable about who gets to experience the richness of the joy of the blessing of heaven around us. It says, then the king will say to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? 
And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is a prayerful statement, a prayerful blessing upon those who are meek who make the world run because they look out for those who make the world run. Blessed are the meek is a prayerful stance for those who become meek and are willing to reach into the situations in life where nobody wants to serve or where somebody is naked or hungry or thirsty and they become meek so that they can become more like Christ and find that they are truly living into the blessing that God calls us to. The, the blessed are statements in the Sermon on the Mount are prayerful practices of walking into or leaning into the life of blessing that God has prescribed for us. And even more than that, when we practice things like peacemaking or we become meek or we hunger and thirst for righteousness, then we pray blessings upon others in our path. And hopefully, hopefully what we start to do is we start to change our minds. We start to change our mind that instead of waiting for God to provide some supernatural blessing, hopefully we change our minds to see the blessing that is already in front of us. And so this is the prayer practice for this week. It is to look in the eyes of somebody that you know, or it's to encounter somebody along the road, as Philip did the Ethiopian eunuch, or Jesus met the two guys on the walk to Emmaus, right? It is to look into the eyes of somebody else, and see the blessed image of God that already lies within them and bless them with that knowledge. It is to look upon your neighbors and look upon your loved ones and just look upon your enemies and say you are a blessing and describe why they are a blessing without first having to hope that they're different. This is what we often do in prayer, especially when praying for somebody, is... It's not prayer as a blessing of, you know, it could be, dear Lord, please let Mike Crawford not yell at the choir so much, <laughs> right? And, and if Mike Crawford will not yell at the choir so much, then God, I will, I will walk with him and I will love him and I will see your divine spark within Mike once he changes God. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus sees the woman caught in adultery and where everybody else sees a woman caught in adultery, he sees a beloved child of God who is already a blessing to this world and says, go and sin no more. Jesus sees the people who, that most people would say are sinful because they're lame, blind, or deaf, and Jesus heals them because he sees the image of God in somebody who is useful and valuable to this world. Jesus doesn't wait for some supernatural divine blessing to come into a sinful world. Jesus sees a world full of blessing and names it and claims it for the person in front of him and says, Mike Crawford, you are a blessing because God created you and God formed you out of the dust and breathed life into you and gave you these amazing leadership skills to perform, to pull beautiful music that inspires other people from this choir. And there's nothing that needs to change about you for you to be a blessing. I'm not saying we all don't have some work to do. I'm not saying we don't need to be transformed. I'm not saying that this world is perfect. 
But there is a prayerful practice of recognizing that God called this world good. And I wonder how we would treat our neighbors. I wonder how we would view the world. I wonder what would change, what would not be happening right now if we weren't all waiting on a blessing, but we recognized the blessing in front of us. Let's pray. Gracious God, in the words of Jesus, help us to become like children. Help us to be enthusiastic and excited about what is in front of us, the simplest, smallest of things. Help us to be, um, we know we will be excited about the future. We know we will be excited about the gift that is to come. But also, Lord, help us to recognize the jubilation that comes, the peace that comes from the meek thirsting for the goodness that you've provided. May a simple loaf of bread become a gateway to a world of blessing around us. May our loved one be an avenue to see that this world is not all bad. May we pray blessing upon those around us so that we may in turn recognize how present you are with us. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.